0: This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Welcome, everybody. You might not know the name Darren Grimes, but you should know what's happening to him if you care at all about freedom of speech and the direction of identity politics in the West. Darren Grimes is a young conservative commentator in the UK who is now under police investigation for an act of journalism. Grimes is in hot water because of racially insensitive remarks that a guest of his, historian David Starkey, had made in an interview he had conducted back in June. Despite the fact that Grimes already has apologized and Starkey's career has gone down in flames. Welcome to 2020, because it's not enough now just to cancel those that society deems racially insensitive. Now the police go after the journalists who dare to interview them. And as bad as that trajectory of social justice politics mob was in the past, pre-pandemic and pre-George Floyd, it seems that those events have only served to make the woke problem worse and more dangerous. So where is it all headed and can we ever stop the insanity of it all. We're going to talk about this today with UK-based author and journalist Douglas Murray. He is associate editor at The Spectator and also serves as a regular contributor to National Review, among others. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity, to which he's just issued a new afterward. Great book and great to have you with us, Douglas. How are you?
1: Great to be with you, Janet. I'm actually in California, so I'm in your own country.
0: Oh, very good. Well, we're glad you're here. Welcome, and uh, we're very glad that you're able to join us today. I I had to ask you about this Darren Grimes case, because this kind of seems in keeping with what you wrote about in The Madness of Crowds, especially in the afterword, that this just keeps getting more and more insane. What do you make of this particular situation going on in your home country?
1: That's right. The police uh, have asked Darren Grimes, the young journalist in question, to come in for questioning on Friday of this week. They've asked him to come in for questioning because they want, as you mentioned, to ask him about an interview he carried out with another person, the historian David Starkey. Now, in the interview, as you mentioned, David Starkey said some things that were regarded as being highly insensitive. His own career fell apart. He apologized for them, but he was sacked from every uh, part of his. Uh, professional life. Darren Grimes, the young man who interviewed him, also apologized for what was said by his guest. And in any ordinary world, that would have been the end of it. But of course, in 2020, we're not living in an ordinary world. And so the police announced they need to call Darren Grimes in for questioning about this. Now, I would add one other thing, which is that in Britain, we don't just have crimes. We have non-crime hate incidents. (laughs) If you think that, that sounds like it's from 1984, isn't it isn't, it's from 2020. Uh, a non-crime hate incident is something where a crime may not have been committed, but a member of the public believes that hate has occurred. And on that basis, a person can be questioned by the police. This is, of course, a completely dystopian world that we enter. Yeah.
0: That's right. Well, that's right. I've seen some of those incidents mentioned on Twitter, for example, where somebody tweets something and all of a sudden the police are called in. Who in the world could survive that kind of system, though, if it keeps going in the direction it's been going?
1: Well, that's right. I mean, as I say in the madness of crowds, the big problem about all of this is how you navigate this if you're a young American or a young British person. Because, of course, you know, those of us, I'm I'm now 40 myself, those of us who are slightly older know that, for instance, we should assert our right, and indeed we have a right to say what we think. But a lot of people growing up now, a lot of young people at college and school, think that this world they're entering is indeed what it's being presented as. as, as for instance, that the authorities can legislate about our thoughts about our intentions, about what we mean by words. And that's what's happening. That is why we get this generation which are described as snowflakes and much more, which isn't quite fair. Actually, they're trying to navigate a world where the police come after thoughts, where the police come after non-crimes. And this is, of course, a world where nobody can get by alive unless... They just submit to the doctrines of the time. They put the necessary slogan on their car bumper, you know, or they say the right things on Facebook.
0: Totally right. That's exactly what's going on. The funny thing to me is that we have a Western world that's been so open and so behind the idea of being able to freely express yourself, that almost uh, what is more shocking is the fact that when these things begin to happen with increased frequency, there's not as big of a pushback and outrage, it would seem, as there used to be, in part, I think, because we have accepted more and more of the premises of the identity politics purveyors. And that presents its own problem, especially, as you mentioned, in the afterword of your book. After the George Floyd protests, where everybody's locked down during the pandemic, but those who are presumably in the streets for racial justice get to be out there, and that's no problem. Now we're just on this really vengeful, up you know, up the ante sort of trajectory, having to do with more and more and more of this. Where do you see this all heading?
1: Well, I have to say, in America in particular, I am deeply, deeply concerned about the direction of travel. My own country... The United Kingdom has a lot of problems of our own. But it's American American culture war issues that have been spilling out across the world, including into Britain and other English-speaking countries. And this particular American identity politics issue is rancid for America and is rancid for anywhere it runs into it. This way in which, for instance, you know, um, as I say in the Madness of the crowd, you know, Gay rights have become playing off gay people against straight people. Yeah. Uh, um, women's rights have become about playing men off against women, demeaning men, and making horrible claims about all men and the way they behave. And racial politics have become not about a search for equality, but a search by some people for revenge. Yes. And that's what we see in America today. These people marching are not marching in the tone of equality. They are marching in the tone of revenge.
0: They are. That's spot on. And you see this out in the streets. I mean, when you're when you're seeing all these people, it started out as this narrative in Minnesota that it was all about George Floyd in that particular incident. And it quickly became apparent that it was about much more than that. But what's funny is you look at the mugshots of all of the people who've been arrested for violent activities in Portland, Oregon, all of them are white. So what does that add to the weirdness yes. of the whole thing, that you're not even having mainly blacks calling for black lives mattering, although they do certainly, you have white liberals in the streets doing this.
1: That's right. I and mean, this is one of the most extraordinary phenomena of our time. And Portland, Oregon is just one of the hubs. That's the biggest hub of this. When you look at these arrest photos in Portland, Oregon, you know, you see these guys, I don't know, they them, but you uh, see uh, these guys, you know, with sort of rouge on one cheek and a bit of lipstick on, and it takes a totally confused look on their confused faces. Yep. And they're right to be confused, but they are confused, and they're unnecessarily confused. They're confused about everything. They're confused about gender. They believe there are of a 100 genders and to it. You know, <laughs> uh,
3: it's
1: not just men and women. Yeah, there are 100 genders today and there'll probably be 110 tomorrow. It's massive gender inflation racket that's going on. They're confused about that. They wonder what men and women are. They're confused about sexual orientation. Uh, they're confused about race. They're confused about everything. And now they're confused about the nature of America. They think that America is this incredibly racist society. And as I always say, to believe what these people believe, you have to have not traveled anywhere, and you have to never have spoken to anyone outside of America, and you have to never have read any history. Because only in that state of complete confusion and ignorance could you believe these claims.
0: Well, that's that's the point, isn't it? That you have a whole lot of people who are doing the dirty work out in the streets who are very confused. You're right, there are an awful lot of people and I'm looking at those pictures and I'm not trying to be mean, but I wouldn't want most of those people babysitting my children, that's for sure. <laughs> they're very scary looking. Individuals, no. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're scary looking individuals. And the thing I want to get to as well is the problem that you have the people doing the dirty work in the streets, but you have elites behind them who are really pushing this and the question is whether or not these elites really understand what they're doing it would seem they do know what they're doing and the american people have not put all the pieces together we're going to take a short break we'll come back though with douglas murray author of the madness of crowds gender race and identity stay with us here on janet meffert today Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there Did you know that bible believers around the world are praying to receive their very own copy of God's Word? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send those Bibles today. Hear from Meng in Vietnam. If they don't have
2: Bible, how they can find the truth? Because the Bible like a map to bring them to find the truth. And many people, they are really... Uh, hungry for the Word of God
1: and then they need the Bible.
0: Nipo is a pastor in Ghana praying for Bibles for former Muslim radicals now following Christ. Anna was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Albania but her godly witness changed his heart and now he needs a Bible. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by terrorists in Mexico and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with others. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word? $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10 and because of a matching gift right now your gift will be doubled call 800 yes word 800 yes word 800 yes word or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet it is a strange thing to look and see what's happening to the West right now about post George Floyd. It seems this country in particular has really exploded with this identity politics, social justice, woke movement, and it is at many junctures completely irrational. If you try to have an a ira- rational conversation about these things with a lot of the people who are behind it, you just don't get much of anywhere and we're seeing cancel culture taking hold and now we're even seeing in the UK a situation where people who haven't even committed the alleged thought crime are the ones who are being under police investigation. Douglas Murray is joining us associate editor at the Spectator and author of the best-selling book The Madness of Crowds, gender, race and identity. So we were talking a little bit Douglas before we went to the break about some of these white liberals who are in the streets of Portland and you see all these big screenshots on on the internet yet there are people who are pushing this who are not the people on the streets. What do you make of those particular people who understand exactly where they're pushing the United States and are all for it?
1: Oh Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the biggest problems in America today, which is the p- number of people not just pushing it, but willing to excuse it. We see repeatedly, for instance, the claim that the BLM protests were largely peaceful. I don't know what people's definitions of largely peaceful are these days, but a recent report said that $1 billion worth of damage was carried out in the last few months by BLM protesters at the riots and lootings and much more that happened. I don't think a $1 billion worth of damage is peaceful protest. No. Uh, it's a peaceful... It, it, once the once, looting and rioting and burning for things once... Anyone who goes on the next protest knows what they're joining in with. And once that's underway, it's simply unacceptable that somebody like, for instance, Michelle Obama, who said it the other day, just get away with saying, well, they were largely peaceful. Yeah. If a if, if billion dollars worth of damage is largely peaceful, what do these people think a borderline protest would be, let alone a violent
0: one? Right. No, you're right. The First Lady did come out and, and made that video talking about peaceful protests. And uh, over here, I know when CNN did the same thing, reporting live from Kenosha. There was a big building on fire. You might have seen this behind the reporter, and the reporter was claiming it's yeah. mo- mostly peaceful here in uh, Kenosha, and it certainly wasn't. Yeah, that, that,
1: was, that that CNN interview reminded me of nothing so much as Frank Drebin. In one of the naked gun films, standing in front of a fireworks factory that's on fire, and he's trying to disperse the crowd and saying, "Nothing to see here. Please go home." Right? CNN was standing in front of a, a literally burning city, saying, "Nothing to
4: see here."
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Leslie Nielsen, that famous, that that shows up as a gif now and then on social media, and rightly so, because that's what they're doing. But the serious part of it is that you have people now who have embraced what you say really does amount to a religion. It's not so much a political movement, but a religion that's very irrational, that's very uh, determined to be vengeful. And yet, as you mentioned before, based on an America that somehow they believe was terribly racist 10 minutes before they started protesting, What really is aggravating, though, about it is with big tech behind it, with Silicon Valley doing so much to manipulate information online, and Twitter now says it's going to crack down on big accounts that are purveying some kind of misinformation. It almost seems like those people who are trying to be rational are losing and losing and losing because if you lose your voice on the Internet, how much influence can you possibly have over anybody's minds?
1: That's right. I mean, as you know, I write a chapter in The Man of the Crowd about the influence of tech, big tech, in our societies, and we are increasingly aware of it, but we're not aware enough.
3: Yes, we
1: live in a culture in which the, the supreme leader of Iran, the Al-Qaqanian, He's able to tweet out threats against the state of Israel, including annihilationist threats against the state of Israel. And his Twitter account, by the way, you bit crazy that a mad moral like that even has a Twitter account. Yeah. But his Twitter account is unmolested by Jack and the Twitter supremos. Whereas, if President Donald Trump says something that they disagree with, they, then, uh, they now can delete it they can make sure they meet the account, and much more. And this is with the president of the United States. (laughs) These people in big tech have more power than almost anybody in human history. They have the power to decide that the Supreme Leader of Iran can be heard, but the American president cannot. And it is time that people woke up and did something about what big tech is doing to our society, because they are deranging
3: us.
0: Right. And yet a lot of conservatives are very frustrated because they will acknowledge congressmen and senators will say, you know, we have hearings and talk about Facebook and talk about Twitter, and yet nothing seems to be done to break up their monopolies and deal with antitrust laws and these sorts of things. What would be the best way forward in order to really clamp down on these big tech companies? Because nothing seems to be happening.
1: Well, one thing I have to say, I mean, there's maybe a bit too much of the law at times in America, a bit too much use of lawsuits. To... I wouldn't at all mind seeing a set of a, a class action lawsuits against the uh, companies like Twitter, Facebook and Google and much more for the extremes of what they allow, like the one I just highlighted there. Uh, I think that they should know that there is a punishment for what they are doing and that it will hit them at the bottom line. You know, all of these companies in Silicon Valley. Pretend that their only desire in the world is to do good. Remember, it even used to be the slogan at Twitch, at uh, Google, that, that they just wanted to do good in the world. These companies now have made their founders into the richest people in human history, yeah. and they do so still under this cloak and under this guise. I think conservatives and others have been far too slow to realise this. And I give the examples, and they're a terrifying examples of things most people don't even know about. Google image search, for instance, tells people things that are not true. It gives you search results that are totally misleading. It will not allow you to find the things you ask unless they go along the doctrinal lines that Google wants. Now, we could all get off Google, we could all get off Twitter, but as you say, these are now big platforms now, and it's hard to do some of that. But I think when these companies badly overreach, and they do, it's time that they start to get punishment
0: for it. Oh, I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. You talk in the book about machine learning fairness. And until I read your book, I had not heard that particular term before, although I recognize it. Like you say, when you Google something, there are a lot of subjects. I don't even use Google in a lot of instances because I can't get the news that I want to use on my show. But how, how does this work when they're using this machine learning fairness? I think you give an example of if you put in white family versus black family and this kind of thing, you'll get very different results than you might expect.
1: Yes, that's right. An uh, example I give anyone can try it. If you put, for instance, a gay couple into Google Images, uh, you get uh, happy uh, gay couples. Uh, if you put straight couples in, you get gay couples. Google <laughs> Images doesn't want people to search for straight couples. Hmm. Uh, if you put... If uh, black family in, you get happy black family photos. Uh, if you put white family in, you get happy black family photos, including happy black gay family photos. It's perfectly clear that Google has set it up to say, we think there would be something sinister in somebody searching for photos of white couples or straight couples. So we are going to deliberately stick a finger up at anyone searching for that or daring to search for it. And there are plenty of other examples I give. Look at Western art on Google Image searches. You don't get, you know, Michelangelo, Leonardo, and and Van Gogh. You get a whole load of Native uh, um, American art you get, um, you get things about paintings are very rare, but occasionally having paintings of black people in Europe in the 17th century. But it gives out the impression that most people in Europe in the 16th and 17th century were black. <laughs> uh, this is a deliberate attempt not to give the people what they are asking for if they search for European art. This is a totally mind-transforming effort by Silicon Valley. It's there for everyone to see. But people need to realize this is going on because this is this is just the forward phalanx of an attempt to totally rewrite all of our interactions as human beings.
0: Right. And if the vacuum that was left by kind of the collapse of standard Western structures, uh, you know, gave way to all of this wokeness, where is wokeness taking us, do you fear? Because wokeness is so irrational on so many levels, like you write about in your book. A lot of these people, I would imagine, are interested in the deconstruction, but they're not so much uh, yet to the point of deciding what will replace it. Uh, Some of these people being flat out anarchists. How do you see it going forward if they are able to succeed in what they do and they are able to cancel everybody they don't like and get them all off the Internet and, and have their dream utopia come true? What would that utopia look like, do you fear?
1: Well, it would look roughly like Portland, Oregon. It would be a city covered in plinth, you know, lovely plinth, all covered in graffiti. Uh, it would be the urine-drenched wasteland that the city formerly known as Chaz uh, looks like. It's people zonked out on the pavement. It's, it's, it's the total abdication of any responsibility. It's the destruction of the public square. It's people wandering in a wasteland that they cannot keep up themselves. This is what these people inherit because they believe they should pull down the past. And they don't know what to do with the future. They have no blueprint for it. They just believe that if you attack the cis-heteronormative, patriarchal, white supremacist structure that they fantastically believe exists in America in 2020, they believe that if you attack that, what you'll get at the end is justice. What you get at the end of their efforts is rubble, absolute rubble. And this is why I actually have some confidence that all of this is winnable. Because my own belief is that most people in America won't put up with this. I travel all around America, and my view is that the American people are not a cringing people. They're a brave people. They're a people who are proud of their history. And so you have a very good chance in this country, because I believe that all that's needed to counter the woke nonsense is for the silent majority that we always hear about to just not be silent anymore.
0: I love that. I agree with you. And I loved your book, too, Douglas Murray, The Madness of Crowds. Thank you so much, Douglas. It was great to have you here and great to talk to you. It's a
1: great honor. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. God bless you. And we'll be back right after this on Janet Mefford Today. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com.
2: This is Janet
0: Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. I do have to say the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearing kickoff is a lot calmer when you compare what we had to go through with the Kavanaugh hearings. (laughs) It could only get calmer, right? There's no way they could possibly have gone more over the top with her than they did with Justice Brett Kavanaugh. So that's the good news. The bad news is... It's just the same old bad faith performance from Democrats. We expect nothing else. There was even a, an article in Politico leading up to the confirmation hearing kickoff talking about Chuck Schumer is completely obsessed with Amy Coney Barrett and they've been putting their heads together and we have to completely focus on health care. We have to completely focus on it. And in fact, this is kind of interesting because Chuck Schumer told Politico this is the number one issue that the American people care about. Well, I took the time to look and see what the number one issue really was with Americans, and that's not a true statement. The Pew Research Center actually found healthcare was the number one issue with Democrats. I guess now in the minds of Democratic senators, the only people whose opinions matter are Democrats, which we knew anyway. But healthcare was the number one issue among Democrats, followed by the coronavirus race, the economy, the Supreme Court, foreign policy, guns, and at the very bottom, violent crime. Because I guess these days, Democrats dig violent crime. Not really sure. But the Republicans valued the economy. And then they cared about violent crime. And then they cared about the Supreme Court, guns, foreign policy, health care. Oh, yeah, that's pretty far down on the list for the Republicans. But I guess that doesn't matter. So all about Obamacare, 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 and all kinds of over-the-top rhetoric about Amy Coney Barrett's threat to the ACA. I'm sorry, I'm still going to call it Obamacare. Coons, Chris Coons actually said a vote for Judge Barrett is a vote for repealing the Affordable Care Act and a vote for a conservative activist judge that will revisit, reconsider, and repeal long-standing precedent. Her faith is not an issue here, nor should it be. Oh, come on. So they bring it up in order to say it's not an issue, but then they say she's going to overturn Obamacare all by herself, huh? Albar, she's just going to unilaterally rip it into shreds, all 10 million pages of it, and throw it out into the dumpster behind the Supreme Court. Okay. I I would applaud her. I would be the first person to give her a standing ovation if she had that power. Unfortunately, we know that's not how it works. Nor is it the case that this upcoming case headed by the state of Texas and other states regarding Obamacare going to overturn it. That's my opinion. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But let's start with Judge Amy Coney Barrett speaking a little bit about her judicial philosophy, what she would bring to the court. It was a very good Good performance, I thought, by Judge Barrett. Let's listen first to cut one.
2: Courts have a vital responsibility to the rule of law, which is critical to a free society. But courts are not designed to solve every problem or right every wrong in our public life. The policy decisions and value judgments of government must be made by the political branches elected by and accountable to the people. The public should not expect courts to do so, and courts should not try. That is the approach that I have strived to follow as a judge on the Seventh Circuit. In every case, I have carefully considered the arguments presented by the parties, discussed the issues with my colleagues on the court, and done my utmost to reach the result required by the law, whatever my own preferences might be. I try to remain mindful that while my court decides thousands of cases a year, each case is the most important one to the litigants involved. After all, cases are not like statutes, which are often named for their authors. Cases are named for the parties who stand to gain or lose in the real world, often through their liberty or livelihood.
0: All right. Part of the opening statement from Judge Amy Coney Barrett during the confirmation hearing. Now, I want you to listen to the opening statement from Senator Diane. The dogma lives loudly within you. Feinstein, who focused on predictably Amy Coney Barrett's potential opposition to Obamacare. Listen to this cut. This is cut three.
4: The president has promised to appoint justices who will vote to dismantle that law. As a candidate, he criticized the Supreme Court for upholding the law and said, and I quote, if I win the presidency, my judicial appointments will do the right thing, unlike Bush's appointee, John Roberts, on Obamacare, end quote. And when he appointed Judge Barrett to fill Justice Ginsburg's seat, the president said that eliminating the Affordable Care Act would be, quote, a big win for the USA. Judge Barrett, you've been critical of Chief Justice Roberts for his 5-4 opinion upholding the law, stating that Roberts, quote, pushed the Affordable Care Act beyond its plausible meaning to save the statute, end quote. This well could mean that if Judge Barrett is confirmed, Americans stand to lose the benefits that the ACA provides. So I hope you will clarify that. In this hearing. All right, you've heard
0: from Feinstein, but she was not the only one to talk about Obamacare. We're going to get into that in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to break down why Amy Coney Barrett is not, in fact, probably a threat to the ACA. But another person who also went down this road was Senator Richard Blumenthal. He talked about a particular case of a little boy who is dependent on Obamacare because he has a particular form of muscular dystrophy, which is kind of a weird tack to take when you have Amy Coney Barrett herself having a special needs child. But listen to how he spins this. This is cut four.
3: Connor is a superhero, but he's always had a real sidekick. He's had the protection of the Affordable Care Act. It has shielded him and his family from arbitrary caps on coverage that would have cut off his care when it became too expensive. It has protected Connor from losing insurance because of this insidious disease that he never caused and chose. The Affordable Care Act has given his family a measure of relief, of hope, of peace. They still worry about Connor's health, but not their coverage or its costs. Connor and millions of others like him are why I will oppose your nomination. Your nomination is about the Republican goal of repealing the Affordable Care Act. The Obamacare, they seem to detest so much. It's about people like Connor, protections for people with pre-existing conditions, tax credits that make health insurance more affordable, bans on charging women more simply because they are women.
0: Oh, brother. All right. Well, he has to get into that. Some other moments, Senator Cory Booker talking about the life issue. People are scared right now because they know what a future without the protections of Roe v. Wade looks like. Without Roe v. Wade, our country looks like people being denied the ability to make decisions about their own bodies. People. Did you notice that? Not women, but people, because there are so many men who think they are women Giving birth. No, not really. Anyway, uh, same story from Kamala Harris who didn't appear in person, and she said, the right to safe and legal abortion is at stake. Throughout our history, Americans have brought cases to the Supreme Court in the ongoing fight for civil rights, human rights, and equal justice. She slammed Trump for choosing a woman who will undo Ginsburg's legacy as a staunch abortion supporter. Well, this is a woman who's completely beholden to Planned Parenthood, who is being sued by pro-life hero David Daleiden for violating his constitutional rights in colluding with them to ransack his his house and try to shut down the wonderful investigative work that he did, exposing the evils of Planned Parenthood and what they have been doing with their baby body parts trafficking. So her record is out there for everybody to see. And of course, she's not going to do anything to run afoul of the abortion giant that has made millions and millions of dollars off the blood of innocent babies. But there is more to talk about. We're, we're going to go and talk a little bit more about this point that they've been making, the Democratic Democrats on Amy Coney Barrett being some kind of huge threat to the Affordable Care Act. The fact that that's what they're focusing on because Democrats care the most about that shows they don't really have much. They don't really have much to hurl at her. We'll come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all, because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the south and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888-888. 247-5499. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light gives his thoughts on the scourge of abortion.
4: One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. Now, Subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slaughtered
0: in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. And that's why Kevin Sorbo also supports Preborn. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies
3: from abortion.
0: Will you join us in the cause for life? By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com.
2: You're listening to Janet
0: Mefford, Today. And now, here's Janet. Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Finally got her time in front of the Senate. And this is very typical of the Democrats to just rail and lie and mischaracterize and also have certain moments where they go off the rails. Now, I had discussed before we went to the break the fact that Chuck Schumer and company decided they would focus exclusively, almost exclusively, on the issue of Amy Coney Barrett being an existential threat to Obamacare because they really feel like that's the greatest weapon that they have. But I I just don't understand this Senator Blumenthal. This guy is not playing with a full deck, in my opinion. Listen to one of the rants that he went off on against Judge Barrett. This is just strange. Cut five.
3: Now I'm really deeply concerned that the Supreme Court is losing the trust and respect of the American people. The authority of the Supreme Court depends on that trust. It has no army or police force to enforce its decisions. The American people follow the Supreme Court's commands even when they disagree because they respect its authority. And now President Trump and the Republican Center are eroding, indeed destroying, that legitimacy. They've stripped the American people of their say in this process simply to confirm a justice who will strike down in court, legislate from the bench, what they can't repeal in Congress. Participation, let me be very blunt, in any case involving Donald Trump's election would immediately do explosive, enduring harm to the court's legitimacy and to your own credibility. You must refuse yourself.
0: Unbelievable, the gall. Mr. Vietnam, why don't you recuse yourself? Recuse herself? And isn't that hilarious that he's making this line, hurling it at Judge Barrett, that she embodies this terrible principle of legislating from the bench what you can't get through Congress? Uh, Have you looked in a mirror lately, Democrats? Look in a mirror. What about the Obergefell decision? You couldn't get ENDA through Congress, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act through Congress, for about 20 years. So you decided to go the activist judge route, and it turned out really well for you. How about Bostock? You You couldn't do that through Congress either, because it was about changing sexual orientation and gender identity into protected classes in federal law. And you couldn't do that through Congress, also through ENDA. Uh, so, so, so you use the Supreme Court? It, this, these people are unbelievable. They have the most incredible moxie I've ever seen in my life. But I want to get to this issue of Obamacare because. This is their tactic. This is the way that they're fighting this battle. They can't really do the somebody raped me at a party 20 years ago routine. Didn't turn out so well for them. Plus, they're going into an election with a an incredibly weak ticket. So they don't want to make any missteps and, and really kind of bring that all back into the public eye again. But this is kind of interesting. Dan McLaughlin over at National Review has a good piece. It's very long. I don't have time to get into all of it. But he says nobody should expect Amy Coney Barrett to strike down Obamacare. Now, I don't like that headline because I think Obamacare should never have passed in the first place. But for Bart Stupak, it wouldn't have passed. But we won't revisit that. I'll just throw that in because I remember all too well the blue dog Democrats led by Bart Stupak. Oh, don't worry. We won't have to pay for abortion. No, because president Obama promised. Mm -hmm. So let's get to this piece. This idea that judge Barrett should not be confirmed because she'll strike down Obamacare in the middle of a pandemic is ridiculous. And everybody knows this is his contention that it is exceptionally unlikely that Amy Coney Barrett will be involved in some kind of strike down of obamacare. The current obamacare lawsuit is called California v Texas and right after the election or shortly thereafter the Supreme Court will be hearing that decision. The challengers might score some victories but they the overwhelming Opinion on all of this is that the operational provisions of Obamacare will remain intact. Now, going back into all the details about Obamacare, I don't think is necessary. You remember the individual mandate was a big deal when the NFIB v. Sebelius case was heard in 2012. That was the one where John Roberts sold us down the river. Uh, They really did something stupid. Roberts at that point had joined the four liberal justices holding that Congress had the power to tax anybody who failed to comply with the individual mandate. So it was upheld. Obamacare was upheld on the idea that the individual mandate, which would force a penalty on you if you didn't have health insurance, was a form of a tax, except for the fact that the Democrats had made a huge deal over the fact and even held in court That the mandate was not a tax. This was what drove us all bananas. What is he doing? Indeed, as Dan says, Roberts himself admitted that a tax on a lawful choice was not how Congress had written the statute. The most straightforward reading of the mandate is that it commands individuals to purchase insurance. For example, the mandate and the penalty were contained in different statutory provisions, and some people covered by the mandate were always exempted from the penalty. The mandate exempted illegal aliens, prisoners, religious objectors. The penalty also exempted members of Indian tribes and people with various hardships. So Roberts admitted that he was applying a saving construction and effectively rewriting the two provisions as if they were a single rule. Hey, if we're going to call that legislating from the bench, I don't recall Blumenthal getting all worked up about that Roberts decision. He seemed to like that pretty well. So between 2012 and 2017, the mandate was enforced as if it were a tax. But the current lawsuit the one coming up, does not seek to overturn that ruling that the mandate should be read as if it were a tax when it was originally implemented. And it doesn't challenge any other part of Obamacare as unconstitutional. It challenges the mandate based on changes to the penalty that was made by Congress in 2017. Why is that significant? Because The whole question that is coming before the court is not on the overall constitutionality of Obamacare. Now, certainly the court could go that route and say, in light of these changes and in light of what's gone on with Congress, you know, reducing the penalty to zero, that invalidates the entire law. And I think there are some people who are very hopeful that that's what the court would say. However, we already have justices on record saying We want to be as narrow as we can possibly be. We don't want to overblow any of our decisions and go further than the question that's before us. And if that's the principle that takes hold and that lasts, then that's not going to be good for all of us who want Obamacare to be struck down. And for that reason, it's just silly and indefensible that the Democrats are trying to do their usual fear mongering. There's no way, first of all, that Judge Amy Coney Barrett on her own could overturn anything. It's nine justices, last I checked, and we need five in order to render a decision that would have any teeth. So it takes five of them. Now, you may believe that Amy Coney Barrett would strike it down because she thought that Robert's ruling in the NFIB case was ridiculous. Well, she didn't say ridiculous. She disagreed with his reasoning. So what? So what? These these liberals seem to have this notion that if you are coming before the Senate Judiciary Committee and you are a conservative, that you have to defend yourself to the hilt to prove that you're actually an honorable human being, which is laughable given their positions on things. But when you have a liberal activist judge type sitting before them, it is all practically bowing down. It is. It's practically bowing down. It's not a matter of good faith with these people, which is what really bothers me when it comes down to it. The Republicans have always, and I will give them credit for this, they have always operated in good faith, I think, when it comes to Supreme Court nominees. How so? When they have a nominee who has come before them who was nominated by a Democrat president, their attitude has been the president was elected, the president is the one who gets to choose whom he believes is the best nominee, and we have to confirm, unless there's some overwhelmingly terrible things about this nominee, the president gets to choose. The people selected him, therefore the president gets to choose. They don't believe that when there's a Republican in the White House. When there's a Republican in the White House, they try to say it's illegitimate, which is insane. But the thing is, it's not in good faith. It's not in good faith. They will never Never in the last several confirmations, although Gorsuch was much better than Kavanaugh, clearly, but they will never concede the point that the president was elected by the people and the president has the right to put into that court seat the person he deems fit. And that will be somebody different than a Democrat would pick. But in any case, the president has that right and the president has that responsibility. And it's just a matter of being fair. But there's no fairness. And this is why I believe Joe Biden doesn't want to answer the question about whether or not he will pack the court. Now, it could be he doesn't want to pack the court, but he doesn't want to admit that so as to leave off some of his base's votes. That could be the reason. But I really do think they want to pack the court. They want the power. And why is it that they want the power of the court? Because activist activists. Judiciary is a very important principle for them. They have won a lot of battles through activist judges. They're not going to give that up anytime soon. They don't have any respect for the American people. Why do you think they want to get rid of the Electoral College? They don't care. They, they'd be happy to let California and New York decide every single election. What will be interesting to see is if the upcoming election goes the way that they really want it to. I'm not so sure they can be as confident as they are saying they are when it comes to how the voters will decide. Time will tell. Pray for this country. We've got to go, but we thank you for being with us Sarah and Janet for today. We'll see you next time.